Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Let's take a field trip. First stop, Venezuela, a socialist paradise. Next, Cuba, North Korea. The list is long. The results are always the same. And now the virus is spreading. It's not just failed government, but failed ideas. There's a better way to make progress and improve the well-being of every American. We call it freedom. It's time we fight for America and vote for America. Welcome to Heritage Events Live, 5G, the Emerging Markets Trojan Horse. We're thrilled to have you here. Here are some tips for making the most of your virtual experience with us. Please submit your questions through the questions tab. Feel free to share your name and affiliation. We love to know who's joining us. If there are any minor technical issues, we ask for your patience, as many of us are working from home and using home internet. I now invite Klon Kitchen, Heritage's Director of the Center for Technology Policy, to come on screen. We hope you enjoy the program. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us today on Heritage Events Live. My name is Klon Kitchen, and it is my pleasure to welcome everyone to today's event, 5G, the Emerging Markets Trojan Horse. We have a great panel lined up for you this afternoon, and I'm delighted to invite each of our speakers to join me now on screen as I tell you a bit about each of them. Bonnie Glick serves as Deputy Administrator of the U.S. Agency for International Development. Ms. Glick was most recently the Deputy Secretary of the Maryland State Department of Aging, where she was appointed by Governor Larry Hogan. Before joining the Hogan administration, she also worked as a senior nonprofit executive, as well as for IBM in a variety of global positions. Also joining us is Josh Maservery. Josh is Heritage's senior policy analyst for Africa and the Middle East, at the, and where he leads our studies on African geopolitics, counterterrorism, and refugee policy. And again, my name is Klon Kitchen. I'm the director of the Heritage Foundation's Center for Technology Policy. There's a lot of conversation about the development of fifth generation wireless networks or 5G. Most of this conversation is focused on who will build these networks in the United States and in Europe. That is because 5G networks are gonna play a central role in future technological and economic prosperity. And also because they will form the foundation of next generation governance. But often overlooked in these conversations is how 5G deployment in the developing world will also have significant impacts on, not only on global trade and, and economics, but also on national security and regional partnerships. And that's why we've assembled this program, because we wanna highlight for you the, this important topic and to frame what we believe is a very important policy issue. And so with that, I'd like to turn to Bonnie just to give us some introductory remarks and to help tee up our conversation. Bonnie, over to you. Klan, thanks so much. And both of you, Klan and Josh, thanks for having me here today, albeit virtually at Heritage. Our focus, of course, is on 5G technology. Now, for most of you, this may be the first time that you've heard of a development agency official focusing on telecommunications technology. But times change, markets change, people's needs change, and so development officials have to change too. It's not enough for USAID to focus on our traditional forms of assistance, whether they're in agriculture, global public health, infrastructure, 
or support for democratic institutions. Those all still matter, but 5G will soon matter just as much, and 5G will factor into all of these areas. Today, I want to explain why. I also want to outline how the Trump administration is approaching 5G as a development issue, as well as a national security issue. This is critical because the Chinese Communist Party today is challenging America's position as a leader in the emerging te technologies of the global digital economy. And that challenge is most keenly seen in China's efforts to dominate 5G technology. So let's unpack this issue a little bit. First, why is 5G a development issue in the first place? The simplest answer to that is that in today's global economy, secure, fast telecommunications networks are essential to a nation's prosperity. People all over the world will feel the impact of 5G in small but important ways. Faster speeds will make it easier for a child in a rural Nigerian village, for example, to video chat with her teacher. More robust systems will allow doctors in India to analyze x-rays faster. Mobile money transactions will be more secure in places like Colombia. These benefits can all be had if the technology is allowed to be inclusive, open, and secure. Sadly, not everyone shares these goals. The Chinese government is seeking to dominate the global rollout of 5G. It is aggressively pushing developing nations to adopt Beijing's 5G offerings. But China's 5G is offered by entities like Huawei and ZTE, which are heavily subsidized tools of the Chinese Communist Party's surveillance state. To any nation that adopts Chinese technology, this is a digital Trojan horse. A country would be allowing Beijing access to all of its communications and data, including vital and often top secret information that's kept by governments, as well as financial information of its citizens. If you believe, as I do, that a nation's control over its vital data is essential to its sovereignty, the Chinese effort to dominate 5G represents, in effect, a breach of national boundaries. So what's more, the CCP's distribution of this technology to autocrats could be a human rights catastrophe on a global scale. China would be exporting to the world's most authoritarian dictators a tool of surveillance that even George Orwell could not have imagined in 1984. This is one of the many reasons President Trump is leading a global campaign to stop the spread of untrusted network equipment around the world. And USAID is at the leading edge of the effort to confront China's nefarious intentions in emerging markets. We do this with confidence that we're on the right side of this struggle. Every day we make the case to other nations that they're better off using technologies developed by trusted firms in the United States and allied countries, not just because we think they're better. We think that our technology will lead to rising standards of living, shared prosperity, and free people. This is part of what I like to call our national drive to onshore, nearshore, 
and allied shore manufacturing, production, and management of telecommunications networks. And we're making the case for the American model of technological innovation. That model is open-ended, intellectually curious, private sector-led, iterative, competitive, and rooted in the rigors and opportunities of the free market. So that's the approach to economic growth we champion and for which I'm certain America will always be known. The fact that Huawei's 5G systems may be hamstrung by their lack of access to American technology now proves the point. And President Trump, to his credit, is reminding the CCP of that fact on a regular basis. The world is taking notice and increasingly our friends realize that any bargain struck with the Chinese for 5G technology is by definition an uneven bargain and very likely an unwise one. We're there to remind them that they have choices and they have very good choices. So with that, Klan, thank you very much. And I'll turn it over back to you and, and to Josh for some questions. Thanks, Bonnie. There's a, a lot in there that I think our conversation is going to unpack. And to kind of start at a high level, I think it'd be really helpful because I'm not sure that it's obvious um, to, to some, at least, as to why USAID is engaging the 5G issue. You certainly kind of um, touched on that, but I want, I want to unpack that a little bit more. So two related questions. One, just help our audience understand generally how USAID plays into technological uh, development overseas generally, and then why uh, you and your agency have identified 5G as a particular area of interest in that type of development aid. So, Klan, thanks. It's uh, USAID, for people who are listening and, and watching and don't know, USAID stands for the U.S. Agency for International Development. And we are the lead government agency for international development and humanitarian efforts, as well as a key global donor country. We play a critical role in elevating trusted networks, both, both as a national security as well as an economic development priority. The purpose of foreign assistance is to end the need for its existence, and we want countries to become self-reliant. In fact, when we talk about our mission, our mission is to help countries on their journeys to self-reliance so that one day we can end the need for foreign assistance. And we're doing that in a number of different ways, uh, including within the U.S. interagency across all of the U.S. government, where we're leading efforts to, to synchronize the U.S. government approach to secure digital networks in emerging markets. And we, we get together frequently, actually, departments and agencies to focus on trade, regulation, diplomacy, and finance. And together, we have a, a wide array of expertise to help strengthen digital economies in the developing world. I hosted a roundtable uh, initially across the interagency to discuss coordination efforts and to hear what other agencies are doing in this space. And then I took that one step further and I reached out to our partners who are fellow donor countries. I brought together another virtual roundtable 
it's a little bit easier than having to get people together in person, but I had it ranging in time zones from us here in Washington, D.C., all the way to Australia. And we had a great conversation about what like-minded governments are doing on digital technology and 5G in emerging markets. To our mind, USAID works directly with governments around the world and helps them to make important and good policy decisions as it relates to connectivity and as it relates to cybersecurity. And this includes working with governments on telecommunications rules and policies, setting standards for digital trade, and the free flow of data across borders. We focus on transparent procurement guidelines and promote open and secure internet policy frameworks with data protection and privacy at the core. So from our perspective, it's really important to have the development agency with a physical presence in USAID missions in over 100 countries around the world talking to government decision makers and partnering with fellow donors to have conversations about what is the path for your country to get and become self-reliant. And we know that in the United States and in developed economies around the world, we're used to using technology. Technology has enabled us to have this conversation, uh, but as well to do all of our financial transactions online for telehealth and telemedicine when we're unable to visit our doctor's offices. And these are the kinds of technology that are currently available. We also know when we hear about the promise of 5G that it'll include things like autonomous vehicles and you know, huge amounts of data being in a throughput that's incredible for fast transactions. So we're taking that step now. You just saw earlier this week that Apple launched its latest iPhone uh, that is 5G enabled. So the, the developed economies are all already at this place. And in order for countries and emerging markets to be competitive and to be self-reliant, we believe that 5G is a critical element for them to have in their technology toolbox. So Josh, um, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on here, besides you just being one of the super smart folks at Heritage, is specifically because Africa is a, a key recipient uh, of American aid, uh, and it's also a, um, a, a center of gravity for a lot of Chinese action. And one of the questions we wanted to ask you uh, was, what are you seeing regarding Chinese aid on the continent, and specifically anything associated with technological development? Yeah, so of course, China has a long history of engaging with Africa. Um, uh, what we would call aid is not a major part of, of what uh, Beijing does. Usually, they are much more involved in uh, offering loans, uh, at all sorts of different rates, some commercial, some extra commercial, some uh, at, at less than commercial rates, um, financing, things of that nature. So what we would consider humanitarian development aid is, is a very small part of what they do. Now, um, 
Unsurprisingly, technology has been a significant part of Chinese engagement with Africa. And, and I'll focus on Huawei because that's the, uh, the, the, the major player, although there are several others. And to give you a sense of, of the extent of what of Huawei's presence on the continent, I'll, I'll give you a few figures here. So it's, it's estimated that Huawei, of there's maybe a couple dozen uh, 4G networks on the continent that are commercially available. Huawei right, is probably- real quick, real quick, who is Huawei? Help our people understand who Huawei is and then give them sure. the Yeah, sorry about that. So Huawei is a uh, major um, uh, Chinese telecommunications firm. It is uh, not uh, a state-owned enterprise, but that distinction is, is almost meaningless in the Chinese context. Um, it is a national champion. So that means that it, it benefits from an extraordinary array of official Chinese government support, everything from subsidies to diplomatic support and things of that nature. And that is part of the reason why Huawei has done so well in Africa. Now, um, uh, as I said, of, of these uh, 4G networks um, on the continent, Huawei's built probably about 70% of them. Uh, the majority, uh, or I should say the plurality of Huawei financing is for um, is for projects in Africa. So of, of all the places in the world, Africa gets the most Huawei financing. Uh, there are already talks, uh, Huawei's already in talks with a number of major African uh, mobile companies on rolling out 5G. So MTM, Vodacom, Safaricom, uh, which if anyone's familiar with, with African telecoms would recognize all of those names, uh, have all been in talks with Huawei on 5G issues. Uh, and then there's also these smart city initiatives that are taking off on the continent. So uh, in 2019, uh, there was uh, 13 uh, was was the last count that I saw. And then uh, data centers are the other thing that that Huawei uh, is is heavily involved in. There's about 10 of them on the continent. Uh, so it, it's really uh, Huawei has an extraordinary presence. And I think for the purposes of this discussion. Uh, I would say that Huawei is going to build the 5G networks in Africa. It's, it's almost a it's it's a done deal, so to speak, uh, unless there's really um, a, a game changing technology that appears very quickly that is competitive, uh, price competitive with Huawei, uh, because Huawei can deliver a 5G network at a, at a cheap cost um, in, in large part because it has these anti-competitive advantages. Uh, due to its relationship with the Chinese government that other companies don't enjoy. Yeah, that's good. And let me, I, I'll unpack, as kind of a tech guy here, I'll unpack that just a little bit so that our, our participants have a, a sense of, of why this even matters. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure someone is is thinking like, okay, so, you know, phones. You know, China owns phones in Africa. Why, why do we care? Uh, fair question. Uh, let me explain a little bit why that might be the case, why we care. So 5G is actually about a lot more than just phones. It's a lot It's a, a lot more than just faster phones. If you imagine our networks as a pipe um, and you can only put so much data through a pipe at a given time, the growth of that pipe from uh, 4G to 5G is going to be a larger one-time growth than all of the previous generation evolutions combined. 
So what we're talking about is because of some advancements in hardware and in software and in networking um, strategies, 5G is gonna constitute a larger innovative growth in wireless network infrastructure than has ever been enjoyed before. Now, again, you may just say, oh, okay, what's the big deal? Well, let me give you just an example of how this kind of plays into uh, real life for you and for me. Before 4G, there was no Uber. Um, and the reason there was no Uber is because our data pipes weren't sufficiently large enough to support real-time tracking of GPS, lo GPS locations of individuals and of cars like at scale. As soon as we developed the network infrastructure to support that, all of a sudden, we had this explosive growth of what's called the shared economy, Uber just being an example of that. So a whole new sector of the economy, a sector that is now currently driving a huge portion of the, of the global economy, did not exist. And the key enabling capability that brought that into existence was a wireless technology. Well, when we think about 5G and what's coming, it's impossible, frankly, to predict all of the innovations that are going to be enabled but we do anticipate them and that those things are going to be these economic drivers for future prosperity. And so Bonnie, to turn us back to you in light of that, one of the questions I want to ask you is there's going to be some on this uh, call with, with as many people as we have, I'm sure there's going to be some who are skeptical of, of US aid and of what, you know, why are we spending all this money on, on these, on these foreign countries? Shouldn't we be spending it domestically? Um, maybe just quickly unpack, why this is in the national interest, both 5G specifically, but then more broadly, why a developing companies or countries um, is in the national interest? Sure. Uh, I'll, as you said, I'll start with the 5G component of it, and then I'll move into why does this matter to us? Why does assistance, foreign assistance matter to us? Uh, and on the 5G side, I'm a little more optimistic, but only a little bit more optimistic than Josh. I don't think that the decisions are all fully cooked. Uh, and I don't think necessarily that we have to wait for a different or a leapfrogging technology to move us beyond where we are currently with 5G decisions being made. But there's a little good news associated with that. I, I'm optimistic because we have seen in developing countries around the world a reticence to uh, further involve themselves with uh, what China calls development and which you, Josh, very accurately said is really not assistance. It's really loans that are unsustainable. It's the creation of tremendous amounts of debt burden on uh, developing countries in Africa in particular. Uh, but one of the things that we're seeing is this increase in skepticism that really has come out of COVID-19 and the recognition around the world that the economic decline that we've seen everywhere has been brought about by the People's Republic of China and the virus that emanated from uh, Wuhan. So with that recognition, countries and leaders around the world are starting to second guess some of them, the relationships that they've entered into already with the People's Republic of China and looking for alternative solutions. Remember, most of the countries in emerging markets 
aren't at the 5G moment yet. Some of them are at 2G or 3G or 4G, but the decisions that they're making today are going to impact the future deployment of 5G in their countries. We know that the shift to 5G level technology is inevitable. Klan, as you said, this is going to be uh, landscape changing. We don't even know what some of the innovations are going to be coming out of 5G. We could never have imagined ride sharing like Uber Ten, I don't know, maybe it's more like 15 years ago, we couldn't have imagined it because the technology level was not enabled in such a way that allowed Uber to operate around the world. So we don't know what's going to be unleashed through 5G. We just know that it'll be changing the landscape around the world. There are other technologies that are out there that we're exploring as well. We're investing money in on some level in, uh, in things like open radio access networks. It doesn't sound terribly exciting or sexy like fifth generation technology for networking, but radio access networks are fundamental to technolo the technology of networking that we're talking about. And open systems that are being developed are aiming to have the same capacity as 5G, bringing that same level of functionality around the world uh, and being based not on large infrastructure projects and large procurements of hardware, but instead they're based on software, which is less expensive and can be easily upgraded. And when you think about how your system every once in a while has to go through an automatic upgrade of the system, this is what we're talking about when we talk about open radio access networks as a potential alternative solution to 5G. So 5G is so important in emerging markets because these are our trading partners and increasingly so. The world has become, and we've seen it now with COVID-19, we are dependent on imports from around the world. And a lot of those imports come from emerging markets. One of the things that I referenced in my opening remarks is this concept of moving away from a single source of imports, as we saw when we had shortages of PPE here in the United States at the beginning of the outbreak of COVID, uh, because those PPE, the personally protective equipment, were being manufactured largely in one single place, and that was the People's Republic of China. So, what we're seeing now is an effort to onshore, nearshore, and allied shore all of our manufacturing processes. And we're dependent on allies who are frequently located very far away, but who have special skills so that they can broaden the supply chain and the provision of goods. If they're in emerging market countries, having them 5G enabled is in the national and strategic interests of the United States. You asked the broader question, Klan, about why does USAID, on some level, why do we even exist? Why are we giving money to foreign countries around the world? 
Well, there's a little clarification I want to make, and that is that we don't give money. Uh, we invest in projects and programs, but you'll never see us walking around the world with sacks of cash to deliver to government ministries uh, your tax dollars hard at work. That is not what we do. What we do actually creates jobs around the world as well as jobs for American companies and NGOs. We dispatch programs that are related to development issues. So that could be something uh, like this. Today is uh, World Food Day uh, or World End Hunger Day. It's, I think it's referred to as both. USAID has always been on the forefront of helping countries around the world uh, that suffer from chronic food shortages or famine. And one of the really cool ways in which we do that is through agricultural innovation. We award grants to American colleges and universities, often land-grant colleges and universities, to focus on how do you create a better grain that's more resistant to drought or that a grain that is more productive? Because we believe fundamentally that this type of research and then the deployment of those seeds into markets around the world are going to be able to feed more people. And fundamentally, when you have people who are more prosperous around the world, they make better trading partners and they make better allies. So we want to help lift all ships and have a more prosperous world because at the end of the day, it helps us here at home. We're also creating jobs in that we're working with American companies and NGOs who are the ones who are providing assistance very often to countries around the world. They're running programs that are training uh, teachers or they're running programs that are focusing on global health provision. Uh, they're running oh, the most, whoops, they're that's running what I, yeah, go yeah, ahead. go ahead. So I was just going to say, I'm just going to say that, I was just going to say that, yeah, that's a that's a very helpful and compelling explanation as to why we even care about this. Uh, but I want to bring Josh in real quick and say, okay, so Josh, we, we know that this is important. Um, but when you look at, at the development action, both U.S. development action and Chinese development action uh, in, in Africa, um, what are the things that concern you uh, most about what you're seeing? And are there any obvious policy solutions that we should be pursuing? Yeah. Um... I think that on the, on this technology question, what concerns me uh, in the African context is that China uh, has uh, potentially better surveillance access to the continent than than anywhere in the world. Uh, just given uh, Huawei's presence, ZTE, other Chinese telecommunications firms, and also uh, some other Chinese activities that potentially give them insight into what African governments are doing all across the continent. So. Uh, I wrote a report uh, recently that found 186 um, Afghan government buildings that were built by Chinese companies. And we know that the Afghan Union headquarters, which was built by a Chinese company, was bugged. Um, that was uh, uh, made public in 2008. Huawei made that ICT system. 
which was uploading all of its data every morning to Shanghai. So uh, that gives the Chinese, um, the Chinese government uh, some advantages. Uh, American companies are very interested in economic opportunities on the continent, which are growing. Uh, Bonnie referenced that um, very rightly. And, uh, but if you're competing against a Chinese company, um, you potentially are, are playing against a stacked deck, so to speak, because it's very possible that uh, Chinese surveillance has picked up uh, some really important elements of, of this competition, meaning they might know your bid if you emailed it to them, uh, you know, if you email it to the, to the government over a Huawei network. Or if if a um, you know a, an American businessman had a conversation in a presidential office that was built by a Chinese company, um, you know these are all real possibilities. So that's very concerning. Uh, their ability to spy on American government officials who are on the on the continent, which is frequent, uh, that's that's also very concerning. Military officials are there. We're constantly doing um, you know collaborative uh, making collaborative efforts with with African partners. So that's all uh, uh, a challenge for the United States. And there's no silver bullet here. Uh, what we really need is a whole host of measures that hopefully uh, each one maybe is small, but combined can, can be significant. I think we should uh, have a, as clear a possible idea as to what these networks are, where they are. Uh, where has Huawei built all of these networks? Where does ETE have a presence? Which buildings have been built by Chinese companies? Just the situational awareness alone um, is important. The U.S. government should be briefing American companies that are interested in, in the continent, opportunities on the continent about these potential pitfalls. Uh, we can do hopefully some creative things with the new um, Finance Development Corporation, which uh, potentially can engage in um, you know, in, in some of these strategic areas, that's it's raison d'etre actually is part of it is, is to compete with China. So we should be utilizing the FTC. So there, again, there's a number of things. There's no silver bullet. It's going to be a long term process uh, with ups and downs. Um, we're already way behind the eight ball on some of this, uh, just given, again, Huawei's uh, extant presence uh, and, and other companies like that. So, Bonnie, in a moment, I'm going to ask you about the private sector. But before I do, I want to remind our participants that in the webinar panel that popped up when you joined the webinar, uh, you'll see a drop-down menu labeled questions. You can drop that down and enter a question if the audience has any questions that they'd like me to ask uh, our participants. Uh, Bonnie, one of those questions that we've gotten is, what can the U.S. do to increase its economic and technological footprint in these developing nations to provide an alternative to the CCP. And I know that you spend a good bit of time thinking about the private sector's role in all of this. So maybe kind of fold those two points in, the, the strategic role the private sector plays and then any specific ways uh, that that sector can be leveraged in this conversation about 5G. Sure, uh, where we are, I, I'm still absorbing Josh's comments, which I, are a little bit depressing. Uh, and I want to assure people that there there is a reason to remain optimistic, uh, and uh, and I'm sure Josh will do the same thing. But uh, all is not lost, and I come at this perspective as an old cold warrior, or maybe a young cold warrior. Uh, but as having lived through and seen the dissolution of the Soviet Union which fell apart because fundamentally at its core, there was something that was uh, rotten. 
Uh, and the, you look at the countries of the former Warsaw Pact and you see how they're thriving today uh, in the absence of their Soviet overlords. Uh, the, the Chinese model, which we're seeing today, is I call it a vertically integrated model. You have Chinese private sector, so-called, as well as the Chinese government in a vertically integrated stack, and they're all marching in lockstep together. We're never going to have that in the United States. Our private sector operates independently of the government, uh, and very often uh, U.S. government agencies are not even in lockstep. What we're trying to do here is ensure that we have a whole of government approach to 5G as well as the other technology challenges that are emanating out of the People's Republic of China. And in order to do that, we have to work with the private sector. We don't control it, uh, but we have to make the private sector, Josh, as you said, have situational awareness, not just of what the situation on the ground is, but also where opportunities lie. And uh, and that, again, goes to this whole of government approach where the Debar Department of Commerce, the Department of State, and as you referenced, the new Development Finance Corporation are all working together with us and with other partners in the U.S. government to inform the private sector, the American private sector, the Western-oriented private sector of where there are opportunities and uh, how the U.S. government can support those opportunities. Uh, yeah, that's that's critical. And, you know, for our audience, it's, it is important to understand, and I think both Bonnie and Josh have touched on this, that China's preferred model of what they call civil military fusion or just this, this cooperative strategy that they have between their government and their nominally pro private sector really introduces a host of distortions into the global market. If it were a straight up competition, uh, the United States is, is very well positioned to outcompete uh, the Chinese Communist Party and uh, its industry. Um, but because they manipulate the free market system the way they do, it is creating some difficulties for us in thinking about uh, how to respond uh, effectively over the long term. Nowhere is that seen more clearly and felt more acutely than in this conversation about 5G. Now, the good news is, and as Bonnie said, the reason for optimism is that we are, um, the United States is aware of all this and is very serious about engaging it. And we've already taken action in terms of uh, protecting our own domestic networks. We've, we've ruled out Chinese participation in those. And we've gone about a very deliberate and systemic effort of engagement with key partners and allies in Europe and elsewhere. And again, that is beginning, beginning to gain very real traction. And then, you know, to their credit, in, in some of these partner uh, nations, it's requiring a pretty significant and costly rollback of existing Huawei equipment within their networks. And yet, because they've understood the threats associated with all this, um, they're taking those actions. And so the conversation we're having right now about the developing world in 5G is a continuation of that broader conversation where many of these same dynamics are in place. Uh, we're getting some great questions here. Uh, one of the questions is, is Huawei the only company for implementing 5G in Africa? Um, so the quick question, uh, quick answer there is no, they're not the only ones who are potentially able to uh, implement 5G in Africa, but 
Huawei is the only company on the planet who can unilaterally develop, deploy, and manage a complete 5G network. So when we talk about 5G, we're not saying uh, that Huawei doesn't have good equipment. We're not saying that Huawei services aren't cheap. What we're saying is, is that both of those things, as the title of this uh, seminar uh, explains, those are Trojan horses, that they are heavily subsidized by the Chinese government, specifically so that they can gain market share and then be leveraged as a type of data funnel back to the Chinese government, so that any inf information on their networks is then provided to the Chinese government, actually by law, by Chinese law, that's necessarily the case. Uh, okay, uh, let's see what else we got. Um, are we aware of the megacity, smart city known as Neom in Saudi Arabia is projecting to build the northwest of the country? How would 5G be beneficially integrated into this smart city? And how would the collaboration of the Chinese government and Chinese companies extend to China's belt and road? Okay, so this is a long one. Uh, I wanna give Josh or Bonnie a chance to talk about that uh, if you have any insight on that. Otherwise I can give a quick two second answer. My two second answer on that would be if there is a mega city that is being built, uh, it is in the best interest of the country in which it's being built. And I think I heard you say that it was Saudi Arabia to look at where there are to look at the procurements that are led by the government officials of Saudi Arabia and encourage the government to have those be transparent, uh, transparent procurements. Because as you said, Klan, China presents, Huawei presents what we call a plug and play solution. They make it very easy to just drop their solution in. But uh, is it really in the interest of the leaders of Saudi Arabia or of that mega city to have the PRC and the Chinese Communist Party have access to all of the information of the citizens of that mega city? Mega implying that there are probably more than 10 million people who live there. Josh, yeah, and I'd add uh, another city very similar to keep an eye on is is the a new city being built in Egypt uh, outside of Cairo, uh, entirely, almost entirely by a Chinese construction company. I haven't heard what the ICT solutions will be, but I'm sure it'll be Huawei or ZTE or something like that. So, uh, what what Bonnie said would would absolutely apply to Egypt as well. So we've got about three minutes left. So I'm going to give you each a minute and a half uh, to just explain to the audience one last time. Look, if you only take one thing away from our time together today, this is what you would have them take away. Josh, why don't I start with you? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, my takeaway would be that uh, Africa is increasingly strategically important, that um, by 2034, estimates are that it will have the largest working class population on Earth. Uh, the market potential is huge. Uh, the demographic surge is, is undeniable. Uh, and then its strategic location uh, is, is also of, of great interest and importance. China's recognized this for two decades and has uh, spent a lot of energy and time and money uh, developing relationships and getting their companies in there. Uh, and some of them provide things that Africans need. Uh, that That's undeniable and, and we should be open about that, but we should also be um, sure to talk with our African partners um, as friends, as concerned friends, 
and to say, um, you know, here are our concerns and here are our solutions. Uh, we really have to come to them with with solutions and alternatives because that's frequently sometimes uh, where there's a disconnect. And I am uh, I'm a huge believer in the American private sector, African countries. All of them are desperate for more American companies. So I think that's where U.S. government policy needs to focus as far as engagement uh, with Africa is incentivizing and facilitating our private sector to get more involved on the continent. Bonnie, your key takeaway? I would just have people understand that 5G, while it's a critically important issue for the United States and its rollout in the United States, as well as in developed countries, it's also an important issue for emerging market countries. We emphasize free and open enterprise-driven development to build resilient market economies that are founded on democratic principles and good governance. Uh, and that is not what is offered by the Chinese Communist Party to emerging market countries, emerging market governance. And so, uh, the American model, the Western model is the one that in the long run is the proven and innovative model, and it will serve in the long run to help build important strategic allies and important strategic partners. That's great. Um, friends, we should conclude just to be mindful of everyone's time. Uh, I would like to thank uh, our panelists for sharing their insights on 5G and and thank you to the audience as well for joining us for this important conversation. Uh, if you work on the Hill or at a think tank or just have questions, please contact me using the information listed on the screen there. Uh, I'd love to continue the conversation with you. Uh, also, immediately following this event, you'll receive a survey that we hope you'll take time to complete so that we can bring ideas that you care about and uh, to the public square. Uh, to see the events we have coming up, check out the heritage.org slash events link. And again, thank you all of you uh, for spending your time with us and we hope that you have a great day.